Ever wish for fuller lips? With Juvederm Lip Fillers, a licensed specialist can help you get the customized look you've been wanting. Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC can give your lips that boost of volume you've been wanting. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Our presenting sponsor for this episode is Trilogy Coffee. Big John, in the year that is 2020, routine is everything. And you, like myself, like to start off the morning with a good cup of coffee to get the day going. That's true. I need my coffee in the morning. It's huge for me. Look, Chuck, I can't even do this podcast without a cup of coffee beforehand. That's how important it is. So, no coffee. No podcast. I will strike. That's right, Big John. We can't have that. But about our sponsor, Trilogy is a small batch coffee roaster that serves specialty grade and ethically sourced coffee with as much transparency as possible. Big John, you know transparency is important. If you walk into your big box coffee roaster and get your over roasted and burnt coffee you don't know where it's coming from could come from a ditch could come from a dumpster behind a windy i've had ditch coffee it's terrible (laughs) (laughs) no ditch coffee is terrible i want to tell you about my favorite blend though that trilogy has it's called kenya kahoro it's a light roast with notes of green apple caramel and black tea sourced from the boma washing station in carico county kenya and so they know exactly where this is coming from they can tell you on their website trilogy can that 360 members of the washing station are there washing the beans of which 120 20 are women. The coffee is dried for 14 to 17 days, then washed according to traditional processing. The end result is a coffee with a clean profile accented with bright citrus notes, not ditch coffee. Well, Chuck, you do love the details, and normally they're a bit over my head, but this time I had to sit down and really look into it, and you know what? You got me hooked too, which is a tough thing to do, if I if I say so myself, but I love that they tell you exactly what you're putting into your body. As an athlete like myself, it is, <laughs> it is really important for me, just like LeBron James, to know what's going into this machine so that I know the output that I can give. I can give 100% on this podcast, Chuck. Gotta take care of that machine, Big John. Well, last thing I want to point out, though, for our listeners is that they care about the environment too. Trilogy does. Each bag of their coffee, and you can get it full bean or ground, comes in environmentally conscious biodegradable bags. We have a special offer for all of our listeners. Not even a, not an exclusive. It's for everyone, Chuck. And they can use the promo code. It's real easy. Appodlacha, A-P-P-O-D-L-A-C-H-I-A to get 20% off bags of coffee and trilogy merchandise when you go to trilogycoffee.com trilogy is t-r-i-l-o-g-y coffee.com and enter the code at checkout that's right big john trilogycoffee.com we'll put a link to it in the show notes support this small business and get yourself some delicious coffee it is worth it Good people.
heaven from far beyond. All right, well, you're probably surprised to see this in your feed right now, but we've got a special bonus episode today. And if you're listening, you heard Brother Hill, another Appalachian band, and the song Steepletown playing in the intro. Another great Appalachian band. We're always excited to feature as many as we can in our episodes. But anyway, today, special bonus episode, John. Uh, really cool um, subject, really cool interview. We were approached by some people to see if we'd be interested in interviewing uh, a woman named Laura Morris, who is the host of a show called Murder Ballads. And uh, name intrigued us. Murder Ballads sounds interesting. And we said yes. And so this is an interview with her. It's a Spotify exclusive. Um, it is not a podcast. Uh <laughs> Very specifically, it is not a podcast. It's a new, it's part of a new listening experience with Spotify Originals on their Spotify app that is part of um, what they're calling shows with music. So it's very it's similar to like combining music to spoken word. So kind of like a podcast, but not a podcast. Um, it brings together music, spoken word content, and an easy and elegant package, um, allowing for full songs and talk commentary to live kind of together, married into one like like show that you can listen to. It's really um it's really cool and really interesting. And the show Murder Ballads itself uh, examines Appalachia and the South, race and identity, folklore and storytelling, and murder ballads, folk and bluegrass origins. And so um, to kind of give you a little bit of background before we jump into it. A murder ballad is part of a subgenre of the traditional ballad uh, form, but it deals with crime or gruesome death. So it's sort of like songs about like really dark, macabre subjects. Their lyrics often form a narrative describing events of like a murder, often including the lead up and or aftermath of it. Uh, the term refers to the content and and typically applies to a traditional ballad. And it's part of like oral culture, oral history. It's really interesting stuff. And this show in particular is super interesting. Like I mentioned, it talks about uh, Appalachian music and, and, and folklore um, a little bit. And we get into that and like kind of how... Um, how the subject came to be to do this show uh, with Laura in the interview. But John, I, I found this to be super interesting. Yeah, I had to, this is one of the few episodes where I had to listen to learn because I was not in this interview. Uh, I, I took the, I took a, I took a vacation, took a summer break on this one. Uh, but this is like, this show interests me only because, uh, I shouldn't say only because, but because it's like the Prius of shows it's it's a hybrid it it's got it's got music it's got spoken word it's got everything and so i think it's gonna be probably a major hit i'm a little disappointed i wasn't able to to be at the interview because i think it does sound really cool but i'm sure i know you did a good job well thank you i appreciate that i think one of the coolest things is it it does feature a lot of um, the artists and musicians, at least in the present day, and, and talking with them about murder ballads. One of the episodes I listened to before the interview to kind of understand the show a little bit more featured Abigail Washburn, who, uh, while not an Appalachian artist, she lives in Nashville right now, is one of the most phenomenal, if not the most phenomenal and best banjo player in the world. And I actually had the privilege of seeing her play in Nashville uh, on a couple of occasions. And so it was a really cool interview there and, and, and 
featuring some of the music from that. And I just think uh, the subject matter in general of this is just really cool. And I think it's something that's unique and that our listeners will appreciate. So without further ado, this is my interview with Laura Morris, the host of Murder Ballads. I was really interested when I started reading a little bit about murder ballads and just in general what Spotify is doing with uh, shows with music. And I was hoping you could talk maybe a little bit about that and then what murder ballads actually are. That's great. Sure. Um, Well, I'll start with the first question. Um, So in terms of these shows with music, Spotify has um, sort of built on the playlist model uh, where they've, you know, the same idea as a playlist where you have a lot of different songs that are from different albums that you might listen to. It's building on that in that it's inserting talk in between those different songs. Um, and in the show, in, in the show that I work on murder ballads, um, it's sort of a podcast style. So the talk is a little bit uh, more complicated. We have um, people that we call up and talk to. So there's clips of, of experts that we have conversations with or musicians. Um, and I think Spotify is, you know, it's a new, ex- new kind of listening. It's a new audio experience um, that's sort of building on the podcast model and the playlist model um, and making something new. Um, and then in terms of what murder ballads are, I'm guessing you mean like the types of song as opposed to the show. Right. Right, exactly. So a murder ballad traditionally is a song that, um, well, there's two parts of it. One is that it's a ballad. So it's a storytelling type of song. So each verse of the song tells part of the story and it's narrative, right? So it progresses over time. So you meet characters, things happen, you get to know them and there's some resolution at the end. Um, And then there's the murder element. So a lot of them are based on some kind of true crime that happened at one point, Um, but they're not all true crime. Some of them are also, um, you know, a legend or nonfiction or something somebody made up, or we don't know if there was any truth in the beginning. But um, the idea is that the story that's in the song is is about a murder. And, And they do tend to have some similarities. Most of these traditional murder ballads, obviously, it's a format. People have made new ones. They've changed over time. But just talking about the really traditional ones, um, they are songs that some of them have roots, lyrical roots, in um, England, the UK, Scandinavia, theoretically, um, that go back to like the Middle Ages, like the 1500s, the 1600s, maybe even earlier, um, and then came over to the States with um, immigration. Some of them ended up in Appalachia and changed over time. Obviously, that's really like a kind of a reductionist, simple explanation because it's a lot more complicated than that. And over time, you know, different people from different places also added to that tradition. But I think that that is sort of a common thread is is that that ballad structure um, has that history. And then, you know, when you have things like other instruments coming in in America, like the banjo, which has roots in other places in West Africa, um, and other traditions come in and, and make what we think of a murder ballad as today. But yeah, that that's sort of, those are the threads that, that a lot of different traditional murder ballads share. So murder ballads in general, why would, um from your perspective, doing your research on this, doing the show, why would somebody want to make a song about murders? Oh, that's a great question. But like, why do we watch horror movies? Fair point. <laughs> I mean, 
you know, it's like, I think that like, I, I think it's really dark. I think that's like, so essential, such an essential part of that, those shows, like, why do we want to listen to this? But like, true crime is the most one of the most popular genres in podcasting, it obviously stretches across other eras. Why? I, why do people read Stephen King? I don't know, but he's really popular. <laughs> so it's like, you know, it's, it's, um, I think that there's that like, like, humans are just interested in this for some reason. Um, I think, you know, I think the other thing about murder ballads is that um, this is just kind of a theory, I guess, but you know, some of, a lot of these songs are pretty misogynistic. A lot of the songs are not all of them, but a lot of them traditionally are about men killing women. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, she got pregnant and she was a nuisance or, you know, th th she didn't want to get married to him or whatever. Um, the, the, the reasons aren't always explained. And there are some theories, whether that's true or not, that this is because it was sort of a warning. Like, you know, if you're a 16 year old girl in a rural area, like don't go off with whoever, because it could be dangerous. Um, you know, that, that's one idea, whether that's true or not is debatable. But, um, I think those are some of the reasons, you know, but I mean, also I think, um, you, you know, you have to remember that these stories really come from a time when there was no television, no film, no books, probably a lot of people were illiterate. Um, the people, you know, these were very popular songs. So people who maybe didn't have a chance to go to school, like I'm talking 300 years ago. Um, and I think it was just like something to do, you know, you sit around, you don't have, maybe you're rural, maybe you don't have a lot of money. Maybe there's no electric light at night. You know, what are you, what are you going to do? You make music with your family. And these songs are, you know, there's like some tension. I, I interviewed one person um, who grew up singing some of these songs and he said it was, there's a lot of uh, suggestion of the illicit things you're not supposed to do. You know, there's suggestions of sex, there's suggestions of murder, there's suggestions of, you know, all kinds of these titillating things that parents don't talk about. And for him as a 14 year old boy, he was like, this is fascinating. I want to listen to this. So um, I think like in that context, they become uh, exciting. That is, that is super interesting. You, you make a great point of, uh, you know, like, why are we so obsessed with true crime and things like Stephen King? So that is a, it's, it's very true. Um, I'm curious. And I think that you, you talk a little bit about this in the show itself, but how did you come across this topic of murder ballads? Well, I definitely have to say that this was a collaborative effort with, um, my team and it was really like a mind meld of multiple people. Um, but for me, I came to it, um, and I sort of talk about this a little bit in the first episode. Um, I'm, I'm from New York. I'm, I'm a lifelong New Yorker for good or for bad, but, um, I spent about half a year when I was in college in Western North Carolina in Appalachia. I attended the John C. Campbell Folk School, um, which is a craft school. And, you know, I, I had a really wonderful time there and I met a lot of really interesting people and they sort of, I was sort of introduced to some of this music and I learned about that connection that I'd mentioned between um, these songs that came from England and so some of them that ended up, you know, many, many decades later in Appalachia. And I just like always remember that and thought it was interesting. And um, so that was kind of like a little bit of background that I'd had coming to this show. And there was sort of an opportunity to pitch a project at Spotify and I, the thing that I started thinking about was the song In the Pines, um, which I think it's our third episode is about that, that song. And that's a song that people know because Nirvana sang it in the early 90s. It was one of their last songs. It was like a huge thing. Um, 
And this is a murder ballad. It's a song that Lead Belly sang, a song that Dolly Parton sang. And I just like thought the fact that all these people sang this song was really interesting. Um, so I started digging into it and researching and learning about it. And I kind of, I made like a little pilot where I sort of tried some things out. And um, so that was sort of my idea, which was this like tracing back the history of this song through all these different people talking about that murder ballad history. And then one of my brilliant colleagues or a couple of my brilliant colleagues, um, my producer, Matilda Felino, and then my co-producer, Matt and Matt Schultz and my editor, Andy Scott sort of said, well, why don't we take this idea and turn it into a true crime idea? And let's really like build up the murder ballad element of it. Um, and so that's how the show kind of came about. And, um, you know, so, so it's this combination of like tracing things back in time and then trying to find out what we can about what really happened. Yeah, that's um, that's really interesting. And it, it, it's interesting how like you um, sort of came up or I guess like like came across this idea while in Appalachia. And I think it's very um, it, it's definitely very relevant to the region because music and folklore intertwined is something that Appalachia is very much known for. Um, I started listening to, I think it's the most recent episode, and, and I was really excited to see that Abigail Washburn was featured in it, who's a phenomenal folk singer and banjo player. had the privilege of seeing her play a, a few times when I lived in Nashville. And I'm wondering if you could speak to who are some of the other artists and people that are in this series and, and maybe like give a, a preview of like, what are the types of musicians that you're talking to? What are the types of, of people? Like, where are they from? Uh, those types of things that you cover in your episodes. Absolutely. Um, I think the thing about this show that I've really enjoyed in all aspects is it has a huge range because this topic touches so many people. So we have people who are well-known um, in the folk scene, people like Abigail, or folk traditional music scene, I should say, people like Abigail Washburn, who's amazing. We also interviewed on the episode before that, um, Rhiannon Giddens, which was a really wonderful interview. Um, and she's a musician who's from North Carolina and she's now very well known. We also interviewed um, musicians who aren't very well known, but who are carrying on this tradition. In the first episode, I spoke with um, a banjo player and a folklorist named Laura Businger, who's from Western North, who lives in Western North Carolina, and um, you know she knows a lot of history about this folklore and about the songs. And it was really interesting to talk to her and have her kind of break down a song for us with her banjo. Um, but then we also spoke with a musician who is not really in the folk space, but who was really inspired by some of this music. And that was a musician named Fantastic Negrito, who lives in Oakland, California, and who took the song In the Pines and really reimagined it to be something new. And so it's, I think that's one of the things that I liked about this is that we really reached across some different genres, you know, on this show, we, we play the Nirvana song and, you know, in other we, I think the, the last song on, on the most recent episode is a Hooray for the Riff Raff song, which is a little bit more poppy. And, um, you know, we also have this, some really old versions from the 20s, some of the earliest stuff. Um, so there's really a range of songs that we've played. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, I was noticing that too, as I was previewing some of the episodes, that it really is a broad range of artists and, and from different genres and backgrounds that I think is, is really interesting when you think about a murder ballad, how it can transcend a number of different genres. Um, speaking to Appalachia specifically in, in the Appalachian elements that, that are in this series, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because I know that our listeners would be really interested in that. And obviously, like I mentioned before, music and folklore are something that are so 
important to the history and culture of the region. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to preface that by saying that I am no expert in Appalachia and Appalachian folklore. I'm, I'm, I've been learning, you know, I'm a journalist and- Not, um, Neither am I, so, so it's fine. <laughs> I just, you know, I, I want to just be clear about that because I think it's a very a special and unique region. And I, I know a lot of people like to write and talk about it and they get a lot of stuff wrong and I'm sure I do too, but um, I've definitely had the privilege to get to talk to some really smart people about it. Um, and I think I would say that the most, um, the, the episode that we talked the most about it um, is the episode that we talked to Rhiannon Giddens. And we talked to her in part about a song called Tom Dooley, um, which is a song that's from Western North Carolina about a true crime that happened in, I think, um, 1860 something, right after the Civil War. Um, and, and I can get into that if you want, but I, I think, you know, Rhiannon is a really fascinating musician and she's really working across a lot of different genres and draws on her own heritage quite a lot in her work and is really pushing the whole, pushing that space forward. And so we talked about, we talked about the civil war and how the civil war really impacted the region and how, at least in, in that area where she, she's from, um, she's from central, she's from the Piedmont, she's from central North Carolina. And so she talked about how um, North Carolina was sort of this, I mean, we talked a lot about that particular state because it's where she's from, but we talked about sort of the social and racial mix that was in the state at that time, um, that there were, there was more mixing, racial mixing in Western North Carolina than you might think that it was, she, she said to me, you know, Western North Carolina was 20% black before the great migration. Um, she talked about, how things changed um, after the Civil War and how it was so divisive and how um, it was sort of like this wound, um, which I guess is obvious, but like, I think you can kind of see some of that in the music, which is to me what's really interesting. Um, you know, the song Tom Dooley is about a man who um, kills a woman uh, right after the Civil War. He was a Civil War soldier, came home to the mountains of North Carolina um, and like within a year had, had killed this woman. Um, and you know, the song doesn't get into it, but when you know that he's a civil war soldier and you know, you read anything about the civil war and how awful it was, and he was a prisoner of war and he was in a prisoner of war camp. And like, if he, you know, how could he have survived all this terrible stuff? It sort of like shifts how you think about it. And then, you know, I was thinking about, well, what would it have been like for this woman who'd lived at home in this kind of like isolated place where all of the like young able men that could help on the subsistence farming that they were doing in this small town, they all left. What was that like to have survived that for four years? So I guess like we talked about that context and how that makes you think about the song differently. Not that it excuses the fact that he killed somebody, but um, it just sort of brings more context to it. So we talked a lot about that. Um, you know, we also talked about the way that the music progressed over time and um, she plays the banjo. I should say Rhiannon Giddens is, um, she refers to herself as mixed race. Um, her, she comes from a mixed family of black and native American and white um, family members. And she really like brings that. She says, she said in the interview, she sees herself as being reflective of what North Carolina is. Um, and that comes out in her music. And, you know, she draws on these histories and these stories when she plays um, and so we talked about the cultural collaborations that happened in the music, wh whether it was, you know, bringing these ballads from England and mixing it with the banjo from Western North Carolina and, 
you know, different rhythms that have come out of, sorry, I said Western North Carolina, I should have said Western Africa, and rhythms that have come out of, you know, different people from di- mixing in different places. Um, I don't know. And I just like thought that that really brings a whole other level to understanding this music and thinking about um, whose music is it? Where does it come from? Why do people play it? Um, and so, yeah, so, so we talked about that a lot, I guess, is a long winded answer yeah. to your question. No, that was that was very helpful and I think really interesting. And, and- Ever wish for fuller lips? With Juvederm Lip Fillers, a licensed specialist can help you get the customized look you've been wanting. Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC can give your lips that boost of volume you've been wanting. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you are allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. 